So this is the uh, Interledger community call. It's the 22nd of July. Um, two topics on the agenda today. We're going to get a quick intro to Brianna Marbury, the new executive director of the Interledger Foundation, and then have a quick chat about the uh, Interledger website work, um, and then open to any other topics anyone has to discuss. Uh, if you're listening to the recording, 22nd of July, um, the agenda is maintained on the forum for anyone who's new. So uh, for future calls, if you're interested in adding topics, please do go on to forum.intelligent.org and add a topic there. So Brianna, I hope I've given you enough time to prepare yourself. Um, and feel free to keep it brief if you, if you like. Um, but for those who uh, went on the last couple of calls, we've, we've mentioned updates progressively around the Interledger Foundation. Uh, very excited to have the foundation now fully formed and registered in the US. Um, we got our 5013C status uh, recently. And the most recent development and very exciting is uh, Brianna Marbury joining as the executive director. So Brianna, um, welcome to your first community call. Um, feel free to give everyone a, a quick background on, on yourself. <laughs> Thank you, Adrian. Um, as he mentioned, I am Brianna. I'm so excited to join the Interledger Foundation. Um, my background has been in nonprofit operations, accounting, finance, which I've been doing for the last 14 years. And uh, as Adrian pointed out in the call earlier, the focus is usually around trying to save or improve the world in some way. And I look forward to doing the same thing at the Interledger Foundation and collaborating and working with all of you soon. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks very much, Brianna. And I've just changed audio devices, so I hope everyone can still hear me. Um, it says it says that you can, so I'm going to go with that. Um, any other topics anyone wants to discuss? Uh, we've, we've given it a few minutes. Otherwise, I'm going to dive straight into the... Uh, Eddie, the, the one thing that would be nice to hear is if, um, like, I, I, if I'd love to hear from the Spring guys if they're working on anything interesting regarding Interledger. Sure, yeah, update. let's just do a, let's do a general community uh, update. Yeah, that, we can like also, yeah, that would be cool, to, and we can also give updates from our side. Perfect, okay, um, good idea. Um, so, I, I mean, the Interledger website update is not big. Um, as I said on the last call, I was gonna go away and try and do a bit of uh, um, information architecture design. So. Uh, what I did is I looked at some of the existing web properties we have, all of the stuff that sort of fits under the big umbrella of Interledger. Um, the one I haven't really dived into yet is Grant for the Web. So I, I still need to have a look at that. So that's sort of under web monetization, which is under Interledger. Um, but what, I was, what was pretty cool was um, being pleasantly surprised by the amount of work that like people in the community have been doing quietly on various projects so um shout out you know to david and team um who work on the spring for j stuff i mean that's a really well documented um connect implementation if anyone wants to go and have a look at that as a, a reference it's, it's uh there's a lot there they, they, you know um fully implementing all sorts of pieces of the stack so um trying to figure out how to pull all of that together um 
also had a great chat with Brianna earlier today about exactly how we're going to manage, you know, governance of the of the main website interledger.org uh, under the foundation, and you know, uh, dealing with contributions from the community and and where those fit and where the RFCs fit and so on. So. Um, what I'll do after the call, I think there's no point in really going through it piece by piece together, but I, I've used Whimsical to sort of draw up a mind map of a kind of architecture of where I think things fit. Um, as I mentioned on the previous call, one of the things I'm keen to uh, investigate is focusing the website more on uh, the network and, you know, as a sort of call to action for people to join the network. So anyone who's comes to interledger.org understands that we're building a payment network. Like that's first and foremost what we're trying to do. Um, and it's a payment network that works, you know, like the internet. And um, these are the existing participants. And this is, these are the use cases that are possible today. And then sort of allow the, um, the flow from there to sort of go in a use case direction. If you're interested in use cases, you know, these are the other use cases that are possible and this is how we want to get there through open payments. Or if you're interested in, you know, the protocols themselves and you can go in that direction and dive into like the RFCs and the, the technical documents. Or if you're interested in sort of the community aspect and development uh, around Interledger, you know, that, that's a, another direction you could go in. Um, so that's sort of my thinking at the moment. I'll share the, the IA link on the forum um, for today, uh, today's forum post. Um, if anyone wants to go and look at that and provide comments, uh, feel free to do so. I started doing some very basic copy for some of the early pages, but I think now that we have um, Brianna involved and, and I wanna you know, collaborate with her a little bit as well. Um, and then um, there was something else I wanted to mention on the Interledger website side of things, but I can't remember what it is. Um, no. Oh, yes. Um, so, so the other encouraging thing is I spoke to um, Uphold and GateHub. I haven't spoken to Stronghold yet, but you know they are probably the, the, the key, what I would call, at least today, the tier one members of the network. Um, you know, they're offering Interledger-enabled accounts to people, uh, and they're both keen to, you know, participate in the in, in, in this and have their names on the website and talk about their participation and so on. So that's really encouraging. So I haven't given them anything concrete to review yet. So um, obviously, we'll wait and see um, how that goes. We're starting to get into interesting territory now and sort of from a compliance regulatory sort of point of view. Um, so uh, as that progresses, I'll keep you guys up to date, but, but quite excited about that. Uh, one thing that that does raise, uh, which I think is kind of interesting, is whether, you know, if the Interledger website, if interledger.org becomes kind of focused on the network and the foundation and um, so on, do we want um, a place for kind of more community maintained content like tutorials and things, which is a little less um uh it, it, it's not subject to sort of strict editorial governance and so on and anyone can post up a tutorial or anyone can um you know link to projects they're doing or something like that i don't know it's something that just came to mind you know now um is anyone who'd be interested in maintaining something like that or contributing to something like that 
okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that idea to percolate for a while. Um, but I think uh, what I might do is some of the existing tutorials and so on, which have been contributed by Coil and Spring, um, I think would be something that would fit nicely into uh, a space like that, uh, where you know it's a little bit free, more freeform, and and it's it can be sort of have a, a sort of a, a bit of a slant towards you know a specific technology or whatever as as um, you know whatever the the contributors feel like um so I'll, I'll i'll keep that in mind as something we we could consider um that's it on the interledger website unless there's any comments questions uh that's sort of my report back since the last call uh i i'm not a great copywriter and i'm not a website developer so i may have to go out and find some help with uh, the actual finished product um but we'll we'll figure that out within the foundation i think um anyone have questions comments adrian i missed um is the work you've done on the website uh in a pr somewhere yet or is it more just like it's it's just a, it's just a mind map of the sort of information architecture so i did a bunch ah. of research and sorted it out so i'll share that i can share it now on the um zoom chat but that's not going to persist so i'll share it as well on the forum uh, let me just grab it here quickly and share it with you. Um, cool. There. I don't know that I have, uh, for what it's worth, bandwidth to like uh, go write all the content or whatever for the work you're doing on the website, but I'm, I'm always happy to edit. Um, so Yeah, cool. Thanks. I, and I think, David, like you and the Spring team have been great about, you know, putting things like tutorials together. And I, I think we want to have that stuff. Um, you know, we, we don't want to lose that sort of community element to some of the online properties, whether it's, you know, the base website or some sort of subdomain or something. So I think we want to find a place for that um, and not lose totally. that. Uh, and, and what's interesting is I think, you know, we've been maybe through a bit of a lull in terms of the community because uh, the network has evolved to be sort of primarily um, around the, the licensed participants who are there, like I told GitHub, Uphold, Stronghold, and so on. But you know, maybe this is something for discussion um, when when we've as a, a last topic is um, what what does it look like if those guy if we can persuade those participants to sort of open up raw interledger access to accounts. And you know what do people think they might want to build on that and and so on? Because I think the thing that's holding that back today is they are nervous about what that means in terms of their compliance. You know, if I was a, a, a licensed money transmitter and I gave you an account, but then you have raw interledger access to that account and technically can run a connector and connect other people, um, I think that's problematic for me. So I think I would need to have some commitment from you that you know, you're not suddenly aggregating funds on behalf of others or something like that. Um, I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm, <laughs> this is being recorded, <laughs> but, but this, that's my sense. Um, but I'd be interested to hear from people what sort of stuff they might want to do with that. I think that would reinvigorate some of the dev sort of focus community side of things again as well, uh, which would be really exciting. Um, but let's stop there. We, we can get back to that topic. I'm jumping the gun. Matt, I think Matt had an interesting topic to discuss, um, which was sort of just general updates from the community, things people are working on. So I don't know. 
Um, David, if you and the spring team have anything, Matt, if you had anything in mind, and then you know, from, from Coil's side, that you wanted to mention, and then you know, open to the floor, anyone else? Yeah, um, I just want to say welcome, Brianna. Um, super excited that you have joined the foundation and the community. So um, yeah, big, big, huge welcome. Um, in terms of what we're doing on the spring side, I don't have a ton to report. We're pretty focused on uh, pay ID still. Although uh, I do have it in mind to add stream receipt functionality into Quilt, which would then percolate up into the connector. Uh, delivery on that TBD, uh, hopefully soon. So I think I had one okay, other thought, cool. but um, I lost it. So if it comes back, I'll, I'll chime in later. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, Matt, Kincaid, anyone on the coil side stuff you wanted to mention? Um, yeah, so I, the, there's a few things from, I don't know like how public they are, but I think they're nice progress, I think we're making good progress on the receipt side, getting into the live live network, into the network with capital T and capital N, um, <laughs> um, getting onto to the network. <clears throat> so I think that's not far from being uh, sorted. Um, then there's also, I, like I just wanna highlight some of the work Kincaid's done on a stream receiving server that's very interesting. And I think anybody who's interested in that should go check it out because it does does simplify that a lot for, for implementers at like the wallet end. Um, so I do want to highlight that project because it's, it's really interesting. Um, and then also, I don't know if Sabina wants to give an update on her work. I don't know if that's secret or not, um, but it would be <laughs> nice to like share with the, the community because uh, it's an interesting use case. And I think it would be, be cool if people were interested to start getting like feedback and understandings of it. Sure. Um, Kincaid, anything you wanted to add on yours or Sabina on yours? Yeah, um, I guess just, yeah, I was working or kind of have worked a lot on adding kind of support for fixed delivery payments and kind of a more robust stream sender implementation um, that supports multiple packets in flight, um, supports open payments. Um, and so I think that's in a pretty good spot and should kind of enable more of those use cases as that kind of gets rolled out. Um, but then aside from that, have been more lately, as Matt kind of mentioned, been working on the stream receiving side and trying to find ways to kind of simplify the deployment of a lot of the Kind of stream receiving infrastructure right now with the kind of previous javascript stream receiver um, or stream server rather uh, it was it's a little more complicated um, the deployment's a little more complicated than it should be because it's stateful and you have to have a kind of particular um, kind of two-layered connector um, setup and this should simplify some of it okay cool is that um, on in the Interledger JS project? Yeah, this is an open pull request in the Interledger JS mono repo. Cool. Anyone volunteering to review? I'm assuming Matt, you've looked at it. Uh, 
Yeah, the community, oh, I'd say there's been quite a few uh, coil engineers who have reviewed it. So there's been quite a few of us that have reviewed it. Um, more eyeballs are always cool. But uh, yeah, I think it, yeah. like, I think it's just interesting to see the evolution of how end users use the APIs. Um, Kincaid's done a very good job of caring about that part. And that's something I think previously we weren't very good at. Um, and that's sort of the, 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 the aspects that I want to highlight. Like we, 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 we've envisioned a different way people are using this and like didn't really, the APIs were clunky and he's definitely doing a good job of like rounding those out better. Okay, nice. Sabina, what have you been up to that's so secret that Matt couldn't tell us about it? I don't think it's secret. I mean, it's in public <laughs> repository, so it's, it's not secret. So I've been working on a, basically a, a tweak of uh, WebTorrent introducing um, a license and then I'll pay payments to the, the WebTorrent protocol, um, which is like BitTorrent, but using WebRTC. And uh, I've mainly focused on setting up a private tracker that checks that whenever somebody wants to seed something, um, there is a license included. And then if somebody wants to leech something, um, there has been payments made. So it's, it's, a, it's pretty hacky. So I, I, it's nowhere cleaned up. But uh, I'm working on that and I'm also working on just a demo page that shows all of this at the moment. Okay, cool. So it's, it's paying for torrented content based on a license file that's, that's embedded in the content? Or, exactly. or how is that license? Okay. It, it, and it embeds the license into the torrent file. And it's specifically at the moment, it only cares about the creator. So it pays the creator. It does not pay um, um, leaders. So people that are in the network and have making the file available. That, that is something that I want to add in a, in a future iteration. Okay, cool. And, and does it, um, are you trying to enforce payment or are you just sort of saying, hopefully people will make payments when they find the license file? Um, no, it doesn't enforce it. So the tracker won't communicate any peers if there, it hasn't been made a payment. Okay, cool. Nice. So, so I guess, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of the torrenting protocol that well, but I, I assume, you know, someone could offer a free, uh, free access to the peers list, but you would sort of hope the community would say, well, like this is a fair way to pay for the content. So um, that would be sort of discouraged. Yes, so at the moment I'm totally relying on this uh, centralized tracker to manage that access, just because it's so hard to verify, like have multiple parties verify receipts, but ideally you would one like anybody being able to verify the receipt, um, like any peer. Okay, cool. Any other any other challenges that you've come up against? Like, what are the major what are the major? Uh, I assume, like, preventing someone from just putting their own license into someone else's content is one of them. Yes, that that was one of them. I mean. I guess the biggest challenge was the the whole 
thing is so big, like there's so many dependencies there and working with other people's code is sometimes not the most fun. So that was basically the, the biggest challenge there. Just <laughs> getting used to the entire protocol. Okay. <laughs> um, have you have you tried to solve the, the um, mislicensing problem, like the, the problem of putting, um, you know, replacing a license with your own or, or are you leaving that still? What, what was that? So, so the problem of uh, people putting their own license into someone else's content. Like if I get a, a, a video and it's got a license in and I just replace it with my own license. Have you, have you tried to solve that at all? Or is that something you, you figure out later? So yeah, that is something I would like that, that. I mean, this is something that comes up when you um, don't go via the tracker, but go peer to peer. And since I'm relying on this one centralized tracker at the moment, it's not really an issue because I'm, I'm like the tracker is the, the source of truth here. Right. Okay. Interesting. And I, I'm, I'm thinking about like a real world, uh, you know, deployment of this. Imagine I could actually just download movies from here instead of, um, instead of you know signing up to netflix for example um would you imagine the that centralized tracker then would be run by like the equivalent of a netflix someone who owns the licensing or something i i mean it must be somebody trusted by the by the person uploading it i guess um could be it could be multiple private trackers um one hmm. what like one from netflix but i mean ideally i would have this technology used by those indie movie uh, creators that don't um, right, okay. get into Netflix. So that sure. I think this okay. is the, the, the targeted group here. Okay. Cool. Sounds interesting. Is there anywhere people can follow what you're doing? So it is still all like it's in my private GitHub, and then there is a bunch of forked libraries from um, the web torrent organization that I played around with. But like I said, it's, it's all pretty hacky and it needs some cleanup and probably also some more organization. <laughs> okay, cool. We'll, we'll revisit this when, you, cool. when you're ready. <laughs> Thanks. Um, anyone else working on anything they want to mention, uh, give an update? Okay, um, well, we're only half an hour in, not quite. Um, I'm happy to chat a bit about ideas for opening up raw interledger access, but I'm not sure where, where that conversation will go. Um, anyone want to have a stab? I can, I can set the context. And if, it's, uh, if there's no interest in pursuing that, then uh, we might just call the meeting early today. Um, so the context here is uh, we basically, we have what I guess constitutes the first tier of our network. So we have you know, a number of nodes um, who are licensed money transmitters um, and they are slowly rolling out interledger capabilities. So you know, if you have a coil account today um, and you browse the web and you send money to somebody at their payment pointer, those payment pointers would be either from Uphold, GitHub, or stronghold. Um, and so those entities are all set up to be 
at a minimum receiving um, payments via the Interledger network. And Coil is sending money uh, in exchange for content. So it's, it's Coil buying content. So we're not a money transmitter. We don't, um, you know, we don't receive money and then send it out. Um, what would be interesting is starting to evolve what I guess we could call tier two or the next layer down. Um, and that would be if, uh, you know, people who held accounts at those tier one providers uh, were able to get a raw ILP uplink to them. So in the same way as, you know, when you join your ISP, you get a raw IP connection to your ISP. You don't get, you know, kind of um, higher level protocol access only. Uh, and Matt and I had a really interesting conversation with somebody the other day about this and the potential that this could, you know, of what this could unlock um, in terms of things people could build. So, you know, I'm trying to sort of put a, a proposal together about why this would be a really important thing to do. And I wondered if anyone on the call has, you know, use cases or things that they think would make sense to build if the constraint was that you can only really build it for yourself. So uh, let's not limit it to individuals. Let's say you can open a business account at, Gate, at GitHub or Uphold or Stronghold. I know you can do that. Um, I'm not sure about all of them, but certainly it's some of them. Um, you know, and you were transacting purely as your business, but you wanted to run your own interledger infrastructure. Like any thoughts on like what that would enable? What, what would you, what could you do with that that maybe you can't do today? There are no bad Adrian, answers. I don't know. I don't know if <laughs> what I'm about to say may not make any sense, but um, I have had the thought of a website that wants to web monetize, but that doesn't necessarily want to like partner with Coil, let's say, or like somebody that wanted to become their own Coil. Uh, that and maybe I have the sort of flow of funds backwards, but you can imagine just a content site that wanted to be web monetized and like flow money into something like an uphold. I don't know that that's exactly possible today. Like I'd have to go to uphold or I'd have to go to somebody that could actually like source funds for me and set up a contract and, you know, I'd become like a peer. It would be nice if, um, if I could sort of get paid through my own infrastructure, uh, but then mm -hmm. terminate it like across the network. So, so you would want to um, run your own receiving end or your own sending or both? Yeah, it's a good, that's a good question. I guess um, the, the, uh, the use case is probably more useful to talk about. So imagine there's a content site and I want people to be able to pay me using web monetization. There's, there's probably a lot of like assumptions here because like right now it seems like the only way to do that is like my coil plugin. Um, and may, maybe as I'm talking through this, this may not make sense even like there, there needs to be. No, I think, I think you, you, I think what you're saying makes sense, but actually maybe the other way around. So maybe, it would be great if you could run, if you could just write your own browser extension. So that's one thing is like people could write, could, could, could basically provide an alternative to coil for the sending side of web monetization. 
um, and they would be sending out of an account they held at one of the existing wallets. Yeah, that that's, yeah, that's not that's possible. One, yeah, that, that would be one use case. I'm trying to think if I were a, a site owner though, um, like definitely the source side is a gap, but um, were I, let's say I had a website that had a lot of traffic and I, um, like probably I would just sort of use my uphold account as my receiver, maybe. Mm. It, I'm trying to think out, out loud, I guess, if, if there would be some reason I would want to run my own receiving infrastructure. So the one maybe the case, better gap. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's basically you run your own wallet. Like then yeah. I guess the question is like, what are the use cases for that? Like, why would you want to do that? I think for web monetization, like unattended receiving, I'm not convinced there's a need to do that unless you want some more granular control of the incoming money and the, the whole stack. So you would run your own SPSP server. You would return, you know, responses that are ILP addresses that you own the address space stuff like that. Um, so that would, you know, if that's what you, if you want that. So if you want to control that whole money flow a bit more, um, yeah, more closely, I, I could see that. Yeah. That I'm curious uh, if you guys have feedback, like the stream receipts functionality seems to like overcome this issue where if I'm a content provider, I can make decisions uh, much more fine grained in response to like stream receipts. But mm. I'm curious if that is actually, um, maybe this can be just an anecdotal comment from you guys, depending on what you can share, but like has stream receipts actually um, kind of solved that problem where your partners are like, this is good enough. We don't really need any more ILP infrastructure to pull off something like cinnamon or like these other content sites. It, I think it depends on the use case. Um, so Matt may have other comments or Kincaid or others, but I, I think uh, receiving payments um, by web monetization as a website, you would either be doing um, for yourself or on behalf of others. So I think it's the aggregator or the platform use case that receipts really helps with where, you know, like a cinnamon, they are wanting to pay out their creators but um, they also potentially want to take a cut or they want to be, you know, measuring um, how much the creators are earning, things like that. So you, you, you kind of, um, they're an intermediary, but they don't want to be a money transmitter, right? So rather um, just be able to look at receipts for the money being received by their creators as a way to decide, you know, should they display the movie or something like that. So without being in the money flow, they can still provide the value that monetization sort of um, promises the user. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I don't think it's, it's all, all use cases, but it, it, it certainly doesn't help with everything. Like it doesn't yeah. help them, for example. Um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't help with everything. It's, it's still like for a creator, if a creator has one payment point, uh, um, and Cinnamon are going to use that payment point across 10 different videos. Um, the, the, the creator has no way to determine which money was received for, for which video when the money comes in. And Cinnamon doesn't either, and there's their tracking. Like maybe on the receipts basis, they could do it. I don't know. It's, it's, not, as, it's not as granular maybe as you would get by running your own infrastructure, for sure. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, one, one, I guess, pretty tightly related use case would be I'm a content site like a cinnamon and I want to take part of the payment. Like I want to take 10% or something or 30% mm -hmm. to myself as the site owner. And then I want to give 70% to the content creator, let's say right now. Um, it, it doesn't seem like the content creator has a way to orchestrate that type of a payment without being in the flow. Like, David Coe has to receive kind of the first leg of it, take some for myself and then forward the rest on. It would be interesting to explore how um, I as a content creator could orchestrate that kind of logic, but without being in the flow of funds. And I think the that creator would probably be or the like platform. the platform. Yeah. Yeah. Pro yeah. So the, the current answer to that is probabilistic revenue sharing. Sorry, Matt, go ahead. No, no, you, you, you nailed it. Like that's like that solves it pretty, pretty well, actually. How does that work? I'm not, I guess I, I remember that something on a blog in a coil, but I don't actually remember how that works. Um, the basic idea is you host a payment pointer that uh, you probabilistically determine what the termination credentials are. So for 30% of the time you do it to the platform and the other 30% of the time it resolves to the creator's um, underlying um, ILP uh, credentials. Right. Yeah. Cool. And okay. that solves, uh, that solves the problem quite nicely. Um, yeah, yeah. So like, it, so, it solves so it be better honest, the more, the more payments you get, obviously like yeah, you only yeah. got three incoming and requests, I, then. Yeah, it, it obviously ahead, at low val volumes doesn't scale. Um, but I think receipt solves a lot of the problems uh, platforms have for like web monetization, doing like making sure you've got like, you could basically verify certain things occurred with like with, with trust on a trust, uh, not using a trust basis. So currently you can just listen to events, but those can be spoofed. So receipt mm -hmm. sort of like solves, solves that use case. Um, so I, I, I think for, for the next iteration of web monetization, when receipts comes online, there's some, you basically have a very unique thing that websites can now do a bit, bit more clever stuff, um, which should be interesting. Um, I think we envisioning like raw access to be thinking about the next evolution, like not even web monetization and stuff. It's like, what, what products can you build on the basis that, you know, you and I can send payments to each other relatively frictionlessly and programmatically without the, where we've got core interoperability already, which is very tricky in the current sense. Um, so whether that be like an application or, so yeah, I, th I think some of, the, some of the more unique use cases only work if you do delegated access to that endpoint, I think. Um, so it might, A yeah. good example would be pay ID. So like, let's say um, I have an account with GitHub um, and they have an implemented pay ID, you know, for my Interledger enabled account. Um, but they have given me, you know, a raw Interledger access. I run my own pay ID server and my own stream receiver and, you know, deploy that somewhere on whatever AWS and then incoming payments via Interledger to my GitHub account actually get routed to me to fulfill, but incoming pay ID requests are also you know, fulfilled by me. So I can run all of that. I can run the whole pay ID, the open payments, the whatever, like all of that application layer stuff myself, and then just depend on GitHub for the interledger layer. 
So that would be one that would be one use case I think which which is quite exciting it's just it opens up the sort of scope for innovation on the higher layers in that in that well, example Adrian would you be running your ILT node or would you just be running the higher layer software I would I would run uh, a stream receiver but it's pretty okay. simple because it's only got one up one link it goes to GitHub um, and every packet that comes in that I fulfill is money that GitHub credits to my GitHub account, basically. Mm -hmm. But I can decide what addresses to use, shared secrets, all of that kind of stuff in my own SVSP or open payments stack. It's interesting to imagine um, that functionality being there, like uh, depending on who, what entity you were doing that. I could totally see that. So I think it's an excellent idea. Um, in addition, it does seem like that that's like value add functionality that wallets could be adding, right? So like you could imagine Uphold if that was your link, sort of offering some of that functionality for you, right? If it's- Sure. But the, but the beauty go of to a dashboard like, and, yeah. The beauty of, for me, of a raw ILP connection is it's basically like, it's the ultimate API for payments. You know, so yeah. I've spent a lot of time, and I know you have as well, looking at like open banking and all of these things. And, and you know, for the whatever it's been, the last four years, they've been trying to design the APIs because you have to think about every use case and you have to think about, whereas if you just say, well, the API is an ILP connection um, that's authenticated and then let the entities figure out like all the business logic themselves using some other protocol, it's, it's pretty awesome because you, you don't depend on the, um, the wallet to innovate. You can innovate independently. But I agree with you. Like you would expect them to add some of that, but, it, but it, I guess it means they're no longer a gatekeeper. I'm yeah, very I, uh, happy, uh, Adrian, you're, you're coming around to kind of the raw ILP access. Uh, I was always a raw ILP access banking <laughs> kid. It was always, it was always, I swear. <laughs> one one, I one thing I, I would add on kind of yeah. the cinnamon, um, like kind of for the cinnamon use case that is not enabled by web monetization with receipts is if a platform like that wanted to kind of use ILP for streaming micropayments, but wanted to stipulate, you know, I want to receive at least you know, X amount or, you know, this, this video, this content costs a particular amount. Um, whereas right now they kind of need to have a relationship with the pair, um, which is coil. Um, whereas with kind of delegated ILP access, you could imagine that, you know, they're asking the user to authorize, um, some, you know, limited bandwidth to their account to stream a payment. Uh, and that would give kind of the creator more control over how much revenue uh, they're getting on a per stream basis rather than um, kind of just trusting, you know, the, uh, whoever the web monetization provider is to pay at a good rate. And it would also enable use cases where like they, if that Cinnamon, if Cinnamon is uh, kind of the interledger sender in that case, that's then sending through an uplink to the user's wallet, they could on, you know, a per packet basis, 
do kind of the revenue share, sending, you know, 30% to them, 70% to uh, kind of the creator or whatever that kind of distribution is. Kinkade, couldn't you accomplish that same thing though with um, like attributes or some kind of metadata in the meta tag? Like the probabilistic payment pointers work for like a wide number of users, but if you have a single user, like you said, watching a video, and you need to have like 30% of the payment first has to go to the creator or something or somewhere, the platform, whatever. Could, could you signal that way rather than having Cinnamon in this case have to like spin up their own infrastructure for uh, native level access? I think I mean, you could, but that's, that's, that's infrastructure. Go ahead, like, Kate, I, I guess I view that as a, like, not as complicated as like, I think that should just be a very lightweight kind of JS library in, in my, like that maybe bundles uh, kind of the whole OAuth flow that maybe using kind of some of the web payments APIs is able to connect to their provider. Um, if there's a way to do that. Um, like that, that should be pretty lightweight and can be all kind of within the browser. But okay. yes, another way, another way to think about it, David, is, is like, like the um, kind of delegated, delegated access where you're authorizing a particular amount to leave the user's account at their wallet. Um, so the creator has certainty like they're um, getting a particular amount. Another way to think about it is through the sort of order of constituents and say, you know, if you have um, things that need to be implemented in the meta tag, the number of people who have to implement that is is huge. You know, it's every website. Whereas if you have stuff that's implemented at the platform level, that's a much smaller yeah. number. And in, and in the case of like probabilistic rev share, it's actually not even intelligent infrastructure that they have to implement. They can do it by just implementing um, the SPSP bit if, if they have like the, the right APIs were potentially available through the wallet. So, um, you know, they could just say, well, make a call. They could just do it through redirects, I guess, as well, where you have your own payment pointer, you have the creator's payment pointer, and then you host something that redirects to one or the other um, you know, based on the probabilistic uh, sort of the, the, the probability that you configure. So there's, yeah, like I think what's interesting about what Kincaid just said was um, in my mind, I don't know why I'd limited myself to the sort of receiving. So, you know, my uphold account gives me a raw integer um, connection and that allows me to receive and I can run, you know, my own open payment server and my own, um, you know, ILP infrastructure and I can choose which payments to fulfill, et cetera, et cetera. And that's pretty interesting. But if you allow it for sending as well, and you consider the fact that you could give other people the ability to send out of your account, like that was, you know, the, the loop back thing we had discussed before. And, and I think there's, it's pretty wild, like the potential there, where you basically give somebody kind of a a metered tap, like from your account to 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 push money anywhere they want. Um, that's pretty interesting, like the things you could do with that. Mm -hmm. It is occurring to me that if you put yourself in the shoes of someone like a wallet, like Uphold, they they could just give you like a 
um, what's the word, like kind of a low amount of bandwidth, if you will, for sending. So you could mm -hmm. imagine like, Adrian, your limit is a hundred dollars a day. Let's say <clears throat> you're unlikely to become your own bank <laughs> at that <laughs> small amount of money. And so uphold should be reason or whoever wallet should be reasonably assured that like you're, you're just doing that for you. But then if you wanted to like increase your bandwidth, if you will, and um, start processing more money, like the two kind of go hand in hand, you'd probably want to reach out yeah. to Apple. Yeah, it makes sense. It's you, kind of a velocity, like the yeah. equivalent of, um, I think in, in the banking world, they talk about velocity checks and sort of, you know, yeah. they know you're doing something dodgy if your transaction count is just like way over um, sort of some mm -hmm. sort of uh, limit. Mm, that's an interesting one actually to, to look at. I will put that in my notes. Thank you, David. Sure. I think also um, separating the receive from the send might be an interesting uh, sequencing mm. for partners, especially wallets to say, Hey, you mm. know, receives a lot less risk. Let's try that and see what happens. And then, you know, step two would be like, mm, let's try sending now. You know, it might be something um, iterative with a partner. It's pretty interesting. So um, I stand to be corrected and we have the right people on the call to correct me. If you only enabled receive, could you do that with just ILP over HTTP um, and not um, and not need the receiving entity to ever have to run a client? So like, could I effectively give GitHub a URL that that's kind of like, that's my receiving um, bilateral connection for ILP over HTTP. And that's all I have to run is a server. I don't ever have to like make client connections back to them. Yes. I thought so. I mean, stream protocol doesn't ever force you to send a prepare, right? You can, uh, you can. We, you know, there's certain times where you may want to and you'd be precluded because it's like a one way thing. So, yeah, so you'd have to wait for a prepare to attach your, your frames to yeah. the full floor, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Something, I think it's, it's mostly fine. Like a lot of our spring test net does this, um, where we're like, you can technically send also, but like the receive flows are all just one way. They're not, um, there's like no web socket or anything like that involved. So there's no real bi-directional communication, mm. but things like negotiating your currency, uh, like one side or the other's currency, there's like some subtle edge cases, but overall, like, yeah, it's I'm Kincaid curious if you have any like counterpoints or, or thoughts, but it feels like that could totally work. Yeah. Yeah. Everything has been, been trying very hard to move in the direction of kind of supporting those send only flows uh, for coil. Um, so yeah, it should, there are, there are a few edge cases, but for the most part, I think. It just makes the technical complexity really low, I think. Um, and it makes it easier, I think, to reason about it as the wallet, like that you've got all these, stateless, you know, you, you, whenever you're sending packets out, you're opening an HTTP connection, sending a request, getting back a response. And, you know, you're not worrying about like incoming, managing endpoints and incoming packets and so on. It just, yeah, I agree with you, David. I think as sort of uh, a, a, a rolling approach, like do receive first and then add send later. 
and makes a lot of sense. And it, it, it gels well with what those participants are doing today. They're all receive only at the moment. Um, so that's going to be pretty big, I think, when they, when they open that up as well. That turned into a much more interesting conversation than I thought when the call was very quiet earlier. So thanks. <laughs> Any other thoughts on that, uh, on that topic? Uh, I just had one final thought, which is like um, every wallet and exchange that holds funds, like every custodial exchange, exchange is already, for the most part, implemented send on like layer one. Mm. And especially for like any operator wallets touching the US, like they, they have pretty, pretty similar like capital limits for sending out of out of your exchange. So to me, it doesn't feel like there's that much daylight between like the compliance aspect of it for any arbitrary yep. wallet or exchange. The real, I don't know if it's a risk or just uncertainty might be just like, hey, this is a new network. Like to me, it, it, in theory, it should I, be I the same as onboarding yeah. another, another coin, you know, like an, another ledger one. And you just have to understand that network. But otherwise, it should fit in already. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I I, th I think uh, I think it does make sense, especially like the the you know with the applied limits, as you said. Like most of them yeah. have, most exchanges talk about withdrawal limits that are tiered based on the level of KYC you've done and so on. So you could apply exactly the same thing, um, and even be quite conservative um, to manage that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think too, I guess one final, final thought is theoretically, if one were moving a lot of money in and out of an exchange, let's say, or a wallet, um, like the only, like you said, the only thing right now is like the capital limit and their KYC, I think. So the question of like, is this person a money transmitter is still, that's sort of possible. It'd be really like <laughs> probably inefficient, but like, Technically, I could be a money transmitter on layer one today. Like people could be sending me XRP and I could be forwarding XRP back out through my exchange accounts to somebody else or whatever. But you'd probably notice mm -hmm. that again with those capital limits. So like it's an interesting objection if, if a wallet or an exchange is like, well, we're not so sure about this interledger thing because we don't want to accidentally have money transmitters on our hands. But it would seem like that same concern would be there with today's layer ones. And it's not really yeah. a concern because everybody's allowing with capital limits. Yeah. It, yeah. The fact that you can withdraw to crypto addresses, which have no identity bound to them is, 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 yeah, is the same, I guess. Um, it's interesting. Cool. Any, any other final, final, final thoughts? We've got a few more minutes. Yeah, just a couple of use cases I found kind of, or I find kind of interesting for kind of for ILT access. Um, one is, you know, you, it enable you to build your own client or extension that kind of aggregates multiple providers. So maybe I, you know, build my browser extension that then I connect, that a user can connect to their Coil account, or their Uphold account, or GitHub, or you know, other web monetization providers, and then you know, it would be able to kind of choose uh, which of those uh, it should send packets through. Um, 
and maybe maybe some of them you know work better for some types of content but others it doesn't so then it could kind of dynamically switch between different providers and then kind of the other thing I, I just found kind of from the developer experience side I think ILP access is really interesting because it it gives it can give you potentially a better understanding of what's all happening under the hood um, so for example I uh, I don't know if I, maybe this is against uh, Coil's terms of service, I don't know. But I uh, connected to my Coil account over BTP, uh, kind of just wanted to test out kind of this new stream library I was building. And, you know, it was just paying into my Uphold uh, payment pointer. And I just thought, you know, it, it was really cool to have that, you know, kind of level of access and see like on a per package is what is happening. Uh, whereas you don't see that as much when the whole payment is kind of aggregated into just a single amount. Um, and I think, you know, it was only, you know, 10, 20 lines of code, but I think like that experience is kind of interesting. Yeah, to totally agree. And um, that was kind of the direction the conversation went with Matt and I and Jason yesterday, which was if, uh, if you had this access, just like the interest it would generate from people um, would be huge um, because it, it sort of re-engages the developer community, um, the kind of people who we had running their own connectors before and like maybe feeling a little bit, you know, despondent about where to go next with Interledger because, you know, you, you need to be on the, the Interledger really to be moving real money. Um, so I think I, I think that would be would be super cool um, to get that and 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 Jason you know even just like we showed him a demo of Rafiki Money the sort of our open payments like reference wallet and the first thing he asked was cool can I host it myself <laughs> you know could I could I host my own wallet and I think there's something you know quite appealing about that idea for sort of tech savvy people I, I know. Um, I might have mentioned it before, we have a, a South African bank that's offering programmable banking um, these days. And it was like when it first launched a few years ago under a different name, it was it like created international headlines. But it's not complicated. Basically, all they've got is some hooks in their card authorization flow that allow you to write some code whenever a card transaction comes in pre-auth and post-auth um, hooks. Um, but it's, it's, it's just super cool that you could do that. You know, I've got a bank account and whenever, you know, I swipe my card, I like some code that I wrote actually gets executed against that transaction. Um, and you know, I, I, I think the interledger is just like that on steroids. Okay. Well, we, we're kind of out of time now, but thanks for the contributions there guys on the use cases and the, the ideas, I think. Some good stuff to um, to discuss. Maybe the easy thing is I'll wait till Sabine's put this on the podcast um, uh, on on uh, SoundCloud, and I'll forward it on to some of the folks at Uphold and GitHub and Stronghold. See <laughs> see if they take the bait. Um, our next call is in two weeks, which puts us at and now he searches for his calendar. Um, da -da -da -da. Which is at, puts us at the 5th of August. Um, so we'll chat again 5th of August, same time, same place. Thanks everyone for joining. Two minutes left if you have a parting thought. 
in that case, we'll chat again in two weeks. Ciao.